0: I'm delighted to welcome today our two speakers. They are long term, long time friends of CDAS um, and uh, very knowledgeable people uh, uh, in their own rights about. we're going to talk about today. Um, We have Dr Helen Frisby who is a CDAS Visiting Research Fellow who researches, publishes and speaks on the history and folklore of death, dying and bereavement. This has included appearances on the History Channel, BBC Radio and the Death Studies Podcast. Previous research through the University of Bristol investigated uh, the informal occupational culture of frontline cemetery staff. Helen is Secretary of the Association for the Study of Death and Society and Participation Officer and a Trustee of the Folklore Society. She's previously taught British and European modern and early modern history at UE Bristol and on the University of Bath's foundation degree in funeral services. Helen's also a research development manager at UE in Bristol with particular expertise in academic writing, qualitative research methods and postgraduate researcher wellbeing. Dr. Brian Parsons has worked in funeral directing in London since 1982. He has also researched and written extensively on aspects of mortality, including cremation, embalming, cemeteries, the work of the funeral director, and changing funeral customs during the 20th century. So I'm sure you can see that we've got two excellently placed speakers for you today. So welcome Helen and Brian. Thank you very much for joining us today, especially at short notice. Um, really appreciate it. Helen, I, th- I believe you're going to go first. You're going to give your observations. Uh, on, on what's been going on and what is going on and then we'll hand over to Brian and then we'll have a chat afterwards. So Helen over
1: to you. Thank you very much Kate and it's a privilege to uh, be with you all today. Um, so um, I think before, before I, I sort of talk a bit about uh, royal funeral pageantry then and now I'd, I'd like to take a bit of a, a step back from that and think about the underlying question of, of what funerals are for, what, what they actually do and as a historian um, how and why did the answers to that question change over, over years, over decades, over centuries and, and even millennia. Um, I once heard it uh, beautifully summarised, a, a good funeral gets the dead where they need to go and the living where they need to be and uh, particularly when we're dealing with the, the sort of uh, funeral obsequies of a, in, in, in this kind of situation we're in at the moment, that that, that acquires extra layers as well on on a, a very sort of literal and practical level of funeralism, but it's a very practical and, and simple act of disposing of a dead body, getting the dead ready to go in the most literal sense um for people uh, people who have who have a faith it, it can be a, a spiritual significance as well it's about helping the dead where they need to get to go in the sense of getting them on to to some sort of um, afterlife um, i think f- funeral funeral ritual always has social dimensions as well um when we organize and attend funerals we and i'm talking about we as an individuals and here we as a nation as well uh, you know we, we we give and receive messages about um who we are who we want to be who we want to be seen as well that comes into it as well and then there's a sort of the emotional dimensions this this the the processing the fact of loss and um, for, for many people, many people will be sad about the death of the Queen, and for many people also, this will be bringing back memories of, of more personal losses as well. T-t- to my historian's eyes, the sort of events of the last week or so have have been quite interesting to watch because h- how have all those sort of levels of significance played out? And it's been interesting to, to sort of hear the commentary. Uh, there's a lot of focus in the media commentary, I think, on these being quite sort of traditional rituals. And to, to me speaking, perhaps also as a folklorist, traditional can actually mean a number of things. It can mean rituals with, which are historically old. And as we'll see in a moment, there was there quite a lot of continuity with earlier times. Um, it can also mean the introduction of, of new rituals. And that. Tells us quite a lot about the nature of ritual, I think, and also I think there's a th- there's a there's a third set of what I what I call old but actually quite new rituals. So rituals that have the appearance of historicity, even if they're actually surprisingly new. Um, I, th- I think if we look at if we look at royal funeral rituals over over about the last millennia or so, <laughs> let's let's go for a reasonable period of time here. Um, we can see three distinct phases i think i think we can sort of see early and high medieval royal funerals where if if they happened at all actually were often very rough and ready affairs and they reflected a very different understanding of of monarchy and sovereignty in the nation-state and that which exists nowadays we then get a period between about the middle of the 14th century and about the middle of the 18th century when um power and pageantry really, really meet. And then we get a phase from about the 18th century onwards when, as the role and nature and purpose of monarchy shifts, so does the nature of the ritual. So then if we go back to that early um sort of medieval phase, that the one that always comes to my mind is, is the funeral of uh William II, the middle son of William the Conqueror, who died um, well, it may it may have been a hunting accident, it may have been murder, nobody's entirely sure. On the 2nd of August 1100 in the New Forest. Um not only was there no particularly pomp and pageantry, pageantry around this one, actually his younger brother Henry I, who, who was conveniently present at the time. Um shot as soon as he learned of the accident, he shot straight off to didn't he, he didn't stop to recover or bury the body, shot straight off to Winchester to secure the Royal Treasury and then on to London, where he was crowned in the absence of both archbishops who before they had time to, to learn anything about it. And the the, the the late king's body, which was in quite an unpleasant state by this time, was eventually um brought back and, and given burial by lo- by locals. And eventually ended up buried at Winchester. So that's a really good example of the kind of sort of medieval burial, where actually there, that there's the I think there's often an inverse relationship in these things between the sort of the, the the actual political operational power of the monarchy and the amount and quality of the pageantry that surrounds it. So this 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 is a time when monarchy was was absolute, and when kings. It, always was kings at this time were sort of regarded as as active warriors rather than perhaps politicians or diplomats. Um, What we see in the 14th century is as the monarchy and the country become more settled and stable we, we see that pageantry starting to develop a bit and in particular we see in 1484 the foundation of the College of Arms or the Heralds College as it's known and the job of the college of arms was to regulate the funerals of the monarchy and the aristocracy and they very tightly controlled um what was done how it was done who it was done by the sort of accoutrement that were used and there were heavy fines for um people who uh, who stepped out of place as it were and in fact, the College of Arms is still um, headed up by the Duke of Norfolk, who we've, we've seen a lot in the media in the recent, day, in recent days. And I'm sure Brian will probably talk about how that eventually evolved into the modern commercial funeral industry. I'm going to share with you a slide at this point, which rather nicely illustrates the um, late medieval heraldic funeral. This is actually the funeral of um, Queen Elizabeth first, hopefully you can all see that. I'm just going to pop it up on screen. There we are. So um, that's actually quite a, quite a nice illustration. And we can see a few things which are which we've seen over the past few weeks. We can see the mourners wearing black, we can see the, um, <laughs> the pearls, the flags, the heraldic Symbolism. Um, we can see the arms being carried at uh, reverse. Um, this, this is something we see. You see quite a lot at funerals in different ways. Um, the, 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 the idea idea reversal is it's slightly unsettling. It's slightly different. It tells us that something isn't quite right. And there's also the use of that kind of um, quite um, archaic, uh, clearly ceremonial weaponry um, that. Okay, and again, that's all that's all intended to induce a feeling of being rooted in, in the past. Uh there also, there's also a feature here that we don't see nowadays. If you look on the um just just under the flags, you can see uh, an effigy of the queen. Uh, but the last the last monarch to be carried an effigy was, was actually Charles II. Um these were life-sized wood or wax uh, models of the monarch that would be that uh, they'd be dressed either in armor or in um, coronation robes and, and and this is and this is this, this is this is to do with the separation between the body politic and, and the mortal body and the idea that 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 some some representation of that mortal body continues li- quite literally right to the moment of the grave um incidentally there was a, there was a bit of difficulty at the funeral of um, mary i in 1558 the funeral preceding this one because of course Mary was the first queen regnant so um, wouldn't have actually actively fought in battle. so um, that the compromise that was reached there was that uh, the, the armor was carried in front of the coffin rather than than on it and and, and that's 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 a reminder of this kind of this sort of creative innovation often driven by necessity that, that always goes on at, at royal and other funerals. So going into the the sort of 18th century then, and I'm going to stop sharing now. So going into the 18th century then, um, what we see is a a decline in the sort of day-to-day political power of the monarchy. We also see a new and uh, precarious dynasty, the Hanoverians on the throne, and we also um, see the sort of this, this, this is a time when the nation state, as, as as a modern concept, is is coming into being, and in 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 this country, that's that took the form of, of the Act of Union. So, um, this led to attempts to um, sort of uh, amp up the ritual, as it were, uh, at this time. But by modern standards, um, these affairs were still actually quite chaotic and badly organised. So, um, for example, Actually, you can go right back to the funeral again of uh, Mary I, um, Bishop John White of London in his funeral sermon called uh, the new Queen Elizabeth I a living dog, which didn't go down terribly well. And um, go, go, sort of going forward to the, the Hanoverians, um, George I didn't actually even have a funeral, at least not in this country. He was buried back in his native Hanover, which was a very clear statement of his preferences and loyalties at the funeral of George the fourth, who was not popular. That um, um, William the the new King talked very, talked loudly and persistently through the whole fu- funeral service about, um, n- in not very flattering terms, about his late brother and left early. So um, at the funeral of Queen Caroline, there were riots. And at the funeral of Princess Charlotte, the the daughter of George IV, that there were there were arguments in the Abbey about who who had had or had not tickets to attend. So uh, it, it took a while to get the ceremony right, and it's not really until the, the sort of the twentieth century actually that that we see the British starting to get really slick at uh, at royal pageantry. And uh, and that process of creative innovation that I've I've talked about continues today, so um, it's been interesting to see at the um, at the sort of over last week or so things like the the, the informal walkabouts, the books of condolence, the, um, the the Daily Mail was getting quite exercised the other day about the fact that Harry and William were wearing navy blue rather than black. Um, so, so there, there are these sort of new elements to the ritual, that the mass tributes as well. Um, there are also then those, those old but actually quite new rituals I talked about, so the, the, the Vigil of the Princes at the Laying Out is a really good example of that. It, it, it feels like it ought to be old, doesn't it, but it actually only came along in 1936 at the uh, Lying in State of George V. So, um, that's, that's, that's a really good example of that. So, I'm conscious that time is ticking on a bit, so I'll just um, quickly sum up. So yes, I think funerary ritual in particular, and that includes royal funerary ritual, I think it just illustrates how actually incredibly resilient and creative human beings can be in the face of mortality. Um, you know, I think in that sort of process of, of helping people to acknowledge and to process what's happened to, to to move the dead where they need to go and are bereaved where they need to be for life to carry on. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Helen. I'm going to um, ask you questions. I got some myself about you know, the 20th century slickness. Um, I want to come back to that after. After we spoke, after Brian spoken. So, Brian, like, over to you.
2: Thank you very much, Kate, and thank you very much for this invitation to speak this, this afternoon. Um, there are very few books on royal funerals, um, and one that um, um, many academics um, who study funeral service uh, will have on their shelves, though is uh, by Olivia Bland entitled The Royal Way of Death and it was published in 1986. And I just want to start with a quote because some of this underpins exactly what Helen has said and it takes us to the present day. Royal funerals have passed through many stages since Tudor and Stuart times when they were comparatively impromptu and were yet rigidly controlled by sumptuary laws and by the fact that everybody knew his place and kept it through the rather chaotic Georgian days when society was in a state of flux and the royal family was not held in high esteem and then the Victorian high noon of morning to today's beautifully planned and executed ceremonial, the envy of the world. The funeral that is uh, taking place at the moment um, for Her Majesty the Queen draws significantly on funerals from the past. And um, in these, just in these few moments to share with you, I want to again draw from what Helen has said. And when she spoke about what what is a funeral for, I just want to look at the characteristics of a funeral and explain these in the context of the funeral that is taking place for the Queen as we speak. Um, firstly, a funeral com- confirms the reality of death. Um, the announcement of death, the public proclamation that the, uh, the the news gets out that the monarch has died. this is a very, very significant moment. Um, and it confirms exactly what everybody has feared to hear. And there are two ways then that we, death is really confirmed. And one is by the presence of a coffin, because a coffin is used solely for a funeral. It represents death. And although we have not seen the coffin because it has been cl- covered by flags, um, we know it's there. And the second rem- very visible confirmation of death is the movement of the coffin in the hearse through uh, the procession and through the transport that has taken place from Balmoral to uh, uh, to, to London. Um, so that's our first point. It confirms the reality of death. Secondly, um, it requires uh, the utilisation of often, but not always, religious ritual. And so we've seen a, a number of services taking place, um, St Giles. And then, when the coffin was moved to Westminster Hall, and then we will see us, um, uh, the final one on Monday. Well, not quite the final one because the final one will be the committal at Windsor, which will be private. Um, but we so we see the religious ritual, but we also see mourning rituals coming in. Um, people wearing black, um, and people participating through the act of lining up and then seeing the coffin in Westminster Hall. The the third point is that it provides social support. Funerals bring people together. Social commentators often say that it's hatch, match, and dispatch that bring families together. And they're absolutely right. And this has brought the royal family together. This brings other people together to talk about loss. And as Helen rightly says, Um, It's not only about the Queen, but often about personal loss as well. But it provides the opportunity to speak about this. Fourthly, funerals provide the act of procession. We need to get the dead from uh, point A to point B, from where they've died to their place of rest. And so this, in the Queen's case, has involved quite a number of modes of transport um, from uh, motor hearse, um, then flying, and then the motorhurst again, and then gun carriage. Um, it was thought for a long time that the coffin would be taken by train from Scotland to London, um, and that was changed at the last minute. Um, but m- many monarchs have gone by uh, rail over the last um, 100 years or so. The fifth point is that the funeral involves the expenditure of money, the funeral will cost something to the nation, to the state, to individuals in different ways. And then finally, uh, the queen is buried. And so our sixth point is that funerals always uh, conclude with the sanitary disposal of of the dead. But we've got, so we've got six elements running through this funeral. And it, it is significant to look at some of these elements in the context of what has happened over the last 120 years. Um, the lying in state is a, quite a significant one. It was William Gladstone, who was the first person to lie in state, in Westminster Hall, and that was in 1898, and his coffin was brought from where he died uh, all the way to, on the train, all the way to Westminster Pier, uh, I'm sorry, Westminster Bridge Underground Station, now known as Westminster, and carried through under the tunnel, under the road into Westminster Hall. It was all done very surreptitiously, um, and then the public uh, uh, opportunity uh, for the lying in state was um, was offered. So that was the starting point of that uh, ritual. Um, and I um, also mentioned that uh, trains have been used for uh, the act of procession. Queen Victoria's coffin was brought by boat, then by train, to London, and then by gun carriage, then by train, the way to Windsor. So there's the act of procession and different modes of transport there. And with all of these, significant numbers of people have watched and been involved in the funeral. Um, The number of people that have queued for the viewing in uh, Westminster Hall um, from this morning, in fact the line has reached Suffolk Park which is the, uh, uh, and, and um, the police have said no more for the moment. Um, but this is quite uh, understandable and is probably no different to what we've seen in the past with other royal funerals. I think that's all I really want to say. Um, and I'll hand back to you, Kate.
0: Thank you, Brian. Um... As you're talking, one of the things that reminded me, uh, one of the first things that you said about the the envy of the world, but also everybody knew their place, um, it reminds me of the research that's been done on just regular people's funerals and how they are used also to reinforce social hierarchies within families and within networks, you know, who sits where, contents of the eulogy, you know, some of the things are universal, aren't they? They are human. Uh, as as much as royal and um, with thank you very much both of you that's really that's fantastic it brings it together the past and the present to understand what's going on there are a couple of um questions i'm just going to read them and i think i open it to both of you because so this is for both of you so julia Vern asks thank you for you helen but also i'm going to say to you brian which is the most poignant historical element of ritual that you're seeing in queen elizabeth's rituals right now
1: I think, for me, the most poignant—and again, this this is this is um, perhaps one of um, those—it's one of those old but actually quite new um, customs. Um, I I, I think I think it's actually the the sort of the vigils and and that that sort of meeting of the, the private and the public. That, that's really resonated with me over the, the last week or
2: so. I would say it's the, the, the laying of flowers at significant places at Balmoral and then at Buckingham Palace, that has um, been very uh, uh, profound because it's the sheer quantity of people who feel they need to do something. And um, as the the florists used to say in the 70s and 80s, um, say it with flowers uh, as a a catchphrase. um, People are doing exactly that. They feel they need to do something. And so this continuity we see with the use of flowers at funerals is very, very striking.
0: Can I just add to that? I, I was in Gloucestershire at the weekend and I drove past Highgrove and there's loads of flowers outside Highgrove, so oh, they're we're King, Prince Charles, King Charles, um, that's his home, so that was, you know, they're everywhere. Um, Julia um, responds by saying for for her it was the laying down of arms and the reversal of arms and the processions that she found significant Um, thank you both Um, Matt Hogan asks uh, you mentioned how rituals changed over time do you have any thoughts again to both of you on how ritual may continue to change in the future Brian do you want to go first go on
2: (laughs) Uh, well it's um, in, a, in a time of... Um, I, I'm always surprised that um, we haven't seen more royals cremated. As, uh, this was a new ritual that towards the end of the 19th century, various members of the royal family have been cremated. Um, I wonder if that's a possibility in the future. Do you know why they get buried when the Church of England... I think because there has been the burial place set aside at Windsor, and I suppose that has been the tradition. Although the Queen's sister, the late Queen's sister, of course, was cremated. Um, Princess Margaret was cremated at Slough.
0: Oh, at Slough, I didn't know that. Hmm. Well, Helen, what do you what do you think is coming? Down the well, line?
1: I, I think I think combining combining this with Ben's question um, below. Um, can either of us see a time when one of our monarchs in the near future has, you know, has a very much toned-down funeral with bright clothes, perhaps something very unconventional like being shot into space? Um, I think the answer is I'm I'd, I'd quite surprised to see that in my lifetime. I think um, I think of all the all of the rites of passage, um, funerary rites generally tend to be the most conservative with a small city. and I think particularly when public figures are involved, um, so I, I think I, I, I think if those things ever do happen, they're, they're probably quite far in the future, but um, yes, I, I do agree with Brian, it will be interesting to see whether we eventually do see a sovereign um, cremated, I think there is perhaps a difference, qualitative difference here between the sovereign and, and perhaps other members of the royal family. But that, that's, that's perhaps one to watch, I think.
0: Yes, because funerals are, I, I think, are going to change massively, actually, for the Joe Blogs public, us, mm-hmm. but maybe not so much for the royals. It'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, another, this, we've got questions coming in thick and fast now, so brace yourself. Um, ben Hughes has asked, and I think this is fascinating because I wondered this, actually, when um, Charles, King Charles and the Prince of Wales now, the new Prince of Wales... Um, William were we're walking behind the Queen's coffin the other day I can't remember which day it was now but I was wondering how surreal it must be for them knowing that this is going to happen for them, They they know that this is what's coming for them, I wonder also when Princess of Wales, Kate was watching this thinking I might have to witness this one day for my husband this will be me but but Ben Hughes asks can either of you ever see a time when one of our monarchs in the near future like Charles or William has a very much toned down funeral without a procession and with bright clothes there's something very unconventional like being shot into space which is in other words how far do you think the pomp and pageantry will last I think that's a very interesting question isn't it um as we what will the public appetite be for, and how much the royal family will read the runes, or will they carry on with their own, because it is tradition?
2: I wouldn't be at all surprised if, um, because uh, as so so many um, rituals are, are drawn from formal elements that um, have just been handed down, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they the funerals keep going in much the same sort of way that they do, that with the church involved um with uh, lying in lying in state and um with this act of procession um i think it's what that's they're the f- sort of formal parts and i think it's the public who will probably generate the more informal tradi- um and in, in, the new traditions that uh, come up around funerals but the the key elements of the the service in the procession uh, etc will probably remain the same
1: yeah i th- i think following on from my earlier comments it's 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 a question of evolution rather than revolution I think and I think I think one of the features of ritual is that kind of what you might call dynamic plasticity rituals are always of any kinds are always they you know people people add bits on they take bits off some bits change to the point that they become something else and that's that that's a very normal process but it's it's a process rather than event I think so um I think I I think that has always been the case with ritual and will continue to be
0: this is a longer process than for most people it's it's 10 days so I'm going we've got quite a few questions so I'm going to summarize them um Jeremy uh, Co director of CDAS with me uh, has asked that the the current royal funeral, this national uh, period of mourning, is being presented or talked about. We'll talk about this a bit next week, perhaps also <coughs> in the second talk, but it's being presented as a time of national unity.
1: Do you, Is this a long standing narrative or relatively recent? Mm. Yes, and no, I would say. I think it's important to remember that the the, the very concept of a nation state is is actually quite is actually quite a relatively recent thing um, it's it's and it's a early modern invention if you like and medieval notions of of what a state was were, were quite different so i think that time back to the question i think i think it's an i think i think yes it is you know, royal funerals always have been tied up with the nation, but what the nation means has changed over time. With the formality of the royal funeral,
0: will the formality of the royal funeral lead to a resurgence of more formality for all funerals? That's a great question. Is how much do how much do people watching and then kind of
1: translate that into their own? Well, I can I can I, I suppose I suppose if we look at the past and uh, what's happened, I, I I don't know is is the answer. What I do know is that um, in the late Middle Ages and the early modern period, what we see is the rise of a affluent, urban, usually mercantile middle class who want but are excluded from the trappings of the heraldic funeral. And so, what they do is they decide to if, if they if they can't if they can't be uh, be given this, they're going to buy it and exercise their economic power. And this is where the origins of the modern um, commercial undertaking industry lay. So certainly history history has examples of, of of that kind of trickle-down effect that I think we might be talking about here. But by the the 19th century, even the working classes would have some sort of nod to these things. So they would have the the horses with plumes and the mutes posted at the door with the black crepe wands and all that sort of thing. So... Who knows is the answer, but there are certain, there, there are certainly historical cases where that's been the case. Thanks,
0: Helen. And then following up to so Lindsay's asked also with without television in the past, and again we we'll, might cover this in the second talk a bit more next week as well. But from a historical perspective, where are all these practices and rituals written down? I mean, I know from Brian's work, Brian's got to have been this fabulous collection of photo, photo, photographs, um, but. W- how are these traditions passed on pre you know communication age you know through the, when we didn't have the means to pass it on easily
2: it really was the newspapers and all these um the graphic the sphere the uh um illustrated london news they they uh, their printers must have been on overtime um satisfying the need for all these uh, publications um to be um, because there was just so much demand um and so they would have employed artists to capture the scenes. Um, and um, uh, I suppose that's that, that was the sole way of really getting the message out about what, what, what was going on at, at these funerals.
1: Yes, television seems such an established, it seems such an established part of current events, it's easy to forget this is actually only the second royal funeral mm. that will have been televised,
0: and it was only, and it was in its infancy. The last one,
1: so absolutely, and, in, and indeed, and indeed, it was the televising of the royal funeral and then Elizabeth II's coronation that mm. really established television as a as a as a mass medium, of course. Yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, it was it was a two way relationship. Asher has asked uh, that do Do
0: you think that any you know this kind of is you know the queue's massive to go and and watch and see the Queen to bear witness, the coverage has been blanket in the UK at least, Um, there is does seem to be a lot of appetite for this at the moment, do you think this, what does this tell us about this idea of in our world, in Destiny's world, the the idea of death denied or hidden or concealed or uh, people don't want to know about it, do you think
1: this is going to change anything? I think, I think speaking with my folklorist hat on here for a moment, um, it, it's, a, it's a truism that, you know, c- customs are always on the edge of dying out, always, and, and I think that comes back to that thing again about, I think, a, a more sort of a, um, representative model of how these things work would, would actually be that continuous evolution of ritual again. So yes, things, you know, things do change, elements do drop off, things change to the point they become something else. And we have we have a lot of arguments about at Folklore Society Conference about exactly what point that is. Um, so again, it's just I think the, the important thing is 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 being there to document these these, these shifts as they happen, and then we, when we look back over a, a decade or a century or millennia, we can look back and we we can we can see that shift process of shifting in retrospect.
0: Thank you. I'm going to move us on to the next one, because we've only got a few minutes left, and uh, Brian, this is for you, I think. Um, Anne t- uh, says she was interested to hear that William Gladstone was the first to lie in state, rather than a monarch. Can you speak to that shift? Why, why wouldn't monarchs have done so? Or maybe Helen can answer that as well.
2: Well, um, I, I mean, there hadn't been a death of a monarch since, what, 1837, <clears throat> and so um, Victoria granted uh, William Gladstone a state funeral and um, uh, there needed to be a sort of a resting place when he came to London before he went um, onto the abbey so that that was sort of a convenient stopover place and um, it seemed to work um, and so that became sort of an ingrained tradition Um, but a new tradition
1: we, we have a we have we have a my folklore colleagues and I have a perhaps slightly flippant but also slightly true saying that if it happened once it's an accident and if it's happened twice it's a tradition. Oh thank you. So um, we're
0: gonna whistle stop tour now. Um how do state funerals in the UK compare with state funerals in other countries? Are they any more or less elaborate?
2: Oh, gosh, I haven't seen too many state funerals elsewhere, but I would imagine they're probably just as elaborate, but, but just in different different ways. Um, all probably and all highly organised in advance. Um, do you? So Ben asks, do you think there's a perceived lack of emotion from dignitaries
0: at royal funerals, and do you think it would be appropriate if one of the royal family broke down in tears if they felt overcome by emotions? Oh
1: gosh, that's an interesting
0: one. Um, <laughs> it's a Monday, isn't it? We
1: will all be watching. I mean, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think one of one of the um, non-historical elements. If we can look back to the very first question, one of the non-historical elements that I personally identified with a great deal was the the, the, the photo, the photographs of the, of, of the um, of, of William and Edward and Sophie and Andrew arriving at Balmoral, the, the, the bedside dash that I'm sure some of us here will have will have experienced as well, and. I think that's that for me was that for me was very po- poignant and the you know the sort of clearly very raw emotion there yeah. um but 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 i guess I guess it's situational isn't it you know you, you the formal and the informal um that you would expect that kind of display in an informal moment but perhaps not in a in a ritual moment I'm not quite sure where I'm going with this but I hope that helps but we will all be what I mean they will be under immense pressure on Monday I think that's
0: unscrutiny. it'll be it'll will be quite a moment one last question and then um, John asks and this is more for Brian I guess as a practicing funeral director for the Queen's line state for so long her body must have been prepared Uh, what will have happened I mean will she have been embalmed
2: more than likely, although that that, that hasn't um, come out in any of the media sources, um, I, d- I don't know for certain. Um, certainly, monarchs in the past have been uh, embalmed.
0: Will she be in a? Can kind of any particular type of coffin? You know, will it just be wooden? Will it be?
2: Yes, um, there's there's been quite a lot of speculation in the press about the, about the coffin. As far as I know, it was made by Henry Smith. The coffin makers down in South London that firm no longer exists and it was held in readiness for many years oh. um, and it was um it's more than likely going to be solid oak and a lead lining
1: Lead lining. gosh wow um go on Helen sorry I was gonna say I think am I correct in thinking as well it's part of the matching pair with the Duke of Edinburgh's.
2: Is... I would imagine it is mm.
0: Yeah, and Julie agrees, lead lined, she would agree. Well, thank you both very, very much for a fascinating talk. I've learned a lot. it's been really helpful to me um i really appreciate your time today and thank you everyone else for coming um i've put a link in so this time next week at 12 o'clock on friday next week we have the second talk with uh, dr penthold mounts and dr michael fox who are going to be talking about media coverage and the visuals the representations that we're seeing there will be lots more to say i guess because of what will happen on monday um which I can't imagine what the the audience figures are going to be for that. So that will be quite a a day in the UK and maybe possibly in other countries. The Eventbrite link for that is, I've put it in the chat. So please do sign up. We will be promoting it throughout the week, but we hope you can join us for that, for a a really another interesting conversation that will follow up and complement this one very, very well, I hope. Thank you both, Brian and Helen, for today again. And thank you everyone for coming. And uh, we wish you well for this long weekend. Thanks. Thank
2: you. Goodbye.